Hello, it's Robert Bathurst here. I was one of the first guests on My Time Capsule, and Mike has asked me to tell you that you can now listen to the podcast ad-free by subscribing to Acast Plus. Details of how to join are in the description of each episode. Mike says it's very reasonably priced. In fact, Mike says it's a bargain. And who am I to disagree? Locked here in his cellar. Anyway, for a small subscription, Acast Plus, My Time Capsule, ad-free. Free. Unlike me. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, and welcome to My Time Capsule. I'm Mike Fenton-Stevens, and this is the podcast where my guests tell me the five things from their life that they would like to preserve in a time capsule. Well, they choose four they treasure and would like to preserve, but one which they're glad to see the back of, something they would like to bury in the ground and never have to think about again. This is a unique episode of this podcast because for the first time we have two guests, husband and wife Marcus Brickstock and Rachel Paris. They're both well known for their comedy work as stand-up comedians, improvisers and actors. Marcus's radio appearances, for example, include The Now Show, Giles Wembley Hogg Goes Off, I've Never Seen Star Wars, The Briggs Society, Just a Minute, I'm Sorry I Haven't a Clue and The Museum of Everything. On TV, he's been in Have I Got News For You, Live at the Apollo, The Jump, QI, Would I Lie To You, and Argumental. He also plays a DJ in Richard Curtis's hit film, Love Actually. Yeah, a part I auditioned for, actually. And didn't get. Still, I'm not bitter. Anyway, that's enough of Marcus. Let's talk about the brilliant Rachel Paris. Rachel presented the Game of Thrones spin-off show, Thronecast... She's also been on Live at the Apollo, QI, Would I Lie to You, Mock the Week, and Richard Osman's House of Games. And in Murder in Successville, The IT Crowd, Plebs, and Count Arthur Strong. She's regularly brilliant on The MASH Report, and co-hosts the podcast, The Guilty Feminist. As part of the ostentatious improv group, she stormed Edinburgh year after year. Anyway, here are Marcus, the DJ, and Rachel, sharing a time capsule. (laughs) That really is love, actually. I should have been in that. Should I record the Zoom, or are you recording the Zoom? No, it is recording. Oh, great, great. I'm not recording at the moment, but it will be recording. I'll record it. Now, there we are. Oh, I see it. Yep. Lights on. Yeah. That's it. So I can't do any of the casting director stuff. Do you think it'd work better with your top off? (laughs) 
I mean, you you can. Me too. (laughs) We're really desperate for work, so. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, absolutely, whatever it takes. (laughs) Well, all right then. Okay, Rachel, Marcus, how lovely to have you both on my time capsule. Thank you for having us. Well, you're my first couple, which is very exciting. Oh, we're very honoured. I hope we live up to it and you don't ditch the format forever. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And then it was going so well and then we had them on and then that was it, sadly. (laughs) The death of a podcast. It won't be the first one I've killed. (laughs) (laughs) I think this could be a rebirth. This could be the thing that people say, I want a crowd. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, a minimum of two. Family chat, at least, (laughs) at least. Okay, so we're going to put some things into a time capsule. Normally, I ask one person to put five things in, but you're going to put in five things between you. Mm -hmm. So um, who wants to go first? Um, Shall I go first? Yes, I think you should. I'd like to put Tunnock's Tea Cakes into a time capsule. I don't know if you know Tunnock's Tea Cakes. I don't. Oh, well, I've got one here to show you. (laughs) (laughs) They're from a Scottish brand, and they make caramel wafers... And these wonderful tea cakes, you don't come across them that often. Some supermarkets sell them, but they're very special. They come in a very lovely red and silver shiny thing. I'm going to undo one. They look a little bit like a tuffet. Yeah. (laughs) Little Miss Muffet. They've got fluffy marshmallow inside and a soft biscuit bottom covered in chocolate. They're like a heaped wagon wheel. Yeah. Nice. I'm going online now. I'm ordering them. (laughs) Yeah, you must. Um, last night I discovered whilst trying to buy some things for my son that Tunnocks have started doing dark chocolate tea cakes and Rachel was not just dismissive of them, I would say genuinely angry. That made me furious. <laughs> what are they playing at? Like, it is what it is. It's milk chocolate and that's what's nice about it. Why mess with perfection? I don't know. I guess I thought I thought I very nearly bought them for you. I'm glad I didn't now. We- you were, she was genuinely enraged. <laughs> Oh, Marcus, imagine your Christmas present. Oh. Rachel, guess what I've got for you? Do you know one of the first Christmas presents I ever bought for Rachel, yeah. just moments before we were a couple, actually, yeah. was a box of Newbury fruits. Are you familiar with the Newbury fruit? Yeah. A very fancy fruit sweet. Mm. I suppose I really like old-fashioned confectionery. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I think I'd, I'd mentioned that I like Newbury fruits and you bought me a packet well, and I thought, I'm in here. Yeah, that's the man for me. Yeah. I didn't have loads of information to go on, but <laughs> Newbury Fruits had been mentioned, so I leapt at it. Yeah. I mean, I think if I bought Tunnock's Tea Cakes, we might have married a full year sooner than we did. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you ever split up, Rachel, my advice is the next bloke, Ferrari. Oh, that's a good yeah, idea. Yeah. Just Oh, I just re- I really like Ferraris. Yeah, I love and them. Do you know, my? I've got this really niche thing. I really like um, a million pounds in cash. <laughs> yeah. You really like that for Christmas, yeah. maybe. Does <laughs> <laughs> it have to be in cash? Yeah. <laughs> so when did you discover these? Are these a thing from your childhood? I think they were around then, but I think we had knockoff versions a lot in my childhood. But I did have them occasionally. And then they really came into their own when I started going to the Edinburgh Fringe because they're much more around Edinburgh because they're a Scottish brand. Um, And I'd have one. You're always between shows at the Edinburgh Fringe, as you know, you're always nipping into places for a quick coffee or something. And Black Medicine Coffee Mm -hmm. always had Tonics Tea Cakes. And I love them. And now you can just buy them freely any time. (laughs) We... (laughs) <laughs> but I'm still, I'm as protective over them as if they weren't freely available. That's true. My kids, <laughs> Rachel's stepchildren, 
we had a box of six tunnocks tea cakes. Only six. And the kids had initially one each, about <laughs> 20 minutes apart. And <laughs> I'd say it was the most difficult things have been since we got married. <laughs> I was just like, there's only six there and I haven't had one yet. And they, yeah, they took one. You're I think a- my son might have taken a second one. Oh, Lord. Yeah, that's when things really started to go badly. They did. Yes. Your face, like, it really set, didn't it, your face? Yeah, a rictus <laughs> grimace. Yeah, very judgmental and... Just really desperately trying not to go, how many more are you going to have? <laughs> ha- you've had Because there's only three left now and yeah. there were six. It doesn't six. work out. It doesn't work out. Mm. Yeah, that would mean that they would have them all. Exactly. And then Marcus, as a trick, hid the remaining three. Yeah, in a which I, th- I thought would be a really funny prank because I thought I'd be here when Rachel discovered the empty box. But I wasn't. I was out. <laughs> and so she just <laughs> genuinely thought that they'd been finished and was just <laughs> alone and upset in the house, like really upset. I genuinely had tears in my eyes. Crying in a corner. Yeah, in a time capsule. <laughs> I wonder what the people of the future will make of the Tunnock's tea cake. When, yeah. Like when, you know, I think they'll be eating plant-based pellet food, mm. plant-based or, pellet um, nutrition tablets. Yeah, or that stuff wheel or whatever that's like dust that you make into a milkshake that's got all the things you need. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they'll open the time capsule and it'll have this little mound in it. Yeah, brown mound. But I think they'd be delighted. They might go to war. They might it. find it too sweet because it's very sweet. You don't think they're going to bite into the silver paper? Oh, they might. Oh, they might well do. And go, this is terrible. A space pellet. I don't know. I can't even imagine what Americans make of them. I find it hard to imagine what Americans make of anything. <laughs> Perhaps if they covered them in syrup, they'd enjoy oh, them yeah. then. Yeah, maybe. They, I wonder if, because I think, I don't know if this is fair, I think that Americans aren't very good at chocolate. Of course they're not. No, Hershey bar. Yeah. So I think that, that, you know, the chocolate on these is really nice as well. So I think they'd be like, ooh, what's this? Mm. Would you be interested in trying a dark chocolate one, maybe? No. Oh. Not at all. <laughs> not not ever. I don't, and I want but, to make it clear, I don't want to preserve the dark chocolate ones. Could you please put that axe down? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Step away from the violence. <laughs> Can I just they show are. you, and I'll audio describe it for the listeners at home. Yes, do. My parents heard uh, me and Marcus talking about how cross I was about people stealing my Tunnock's tea cakes. And they sent me an unmarked brown box in the post. Yes. And I opened it up and there was a note saying they'd actually like cut out the front of a box of Tunnock's tea cakes and put, <laughs> hopefully they won't steal if they're in this box. Oh, brilliant. And they packaged them individually <laughs> like special little eggshells. <laughs> you would say, well, so what's that box there, Rachel? Nothing. It's nothing, that. that's rubbish. Nothing. And it is toxic, actually. <laughs> I wouldn't open it. I wouldn't go near that. <laughs> like your relationship is becoming, I have a <laughs> Over the tunnocks. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> OK, well, I'm going to put them very quickly and very safely. Thank you. Because I can see how important they are to you. They are going to go into the time capsule in an unmarked brown box. <laughs> Brilliant. I'm not sure I want people from the future to discover them and, uh, and eat them. Because this lady from a, a little old people's home come out with a stick and go, I used to be on the television, you know. <laughs> Get off those. Get your Get hands off. off. I think if we go far enough into the future, they might worship them as a god. 
They're so shiny. Yeah, they're so shiny and round. What even is it? We don't know. Fluff. But you don't like fluff. You can get marshmallow in a jar to spread on toast. Can you? It's called fluff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You can spread it on toast. The Americans have it. But you won't have a bar of it. No. No, well, you could take all the elements individually and yeah, exactly. lay them out in front of you. What's the point in that? Yeah, I don't want just enough. a plain bit of biscuit either. Yeah, it's the combo. Right. It's the combination. It's the biting in. I understand you, Rachel. <laughs> Thank you. Whereas I'm struggling, this is a worry. <laughs> just between you and I, leave him. Leave him. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't understand. You've got to understand the combination. <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> mine's mine's a bit more earnest now, to be honest. I'm going to put Miles Davis's kind of blue in a time capsule. I mean, look, I'd like to think that it has no need to go in a time capsule because people will never stop listening to kind of blue because it's so extraordinary and brilliant. Mm. But uh, I'm putting kind of blue by Miles Davis in a time capsule because I think just in case music or something has been forgotten and people just listen to just podcasts i suppose in the future yeah yeah um they might have somehow overlooked kind of blue which every single time i put it on absolutely delights me i think it's extraordinary Mm. it's a perfect moment in music there are one or two albums like that but not many are there when did you discover it well what happened was a friend of mine put me onto miles davis's last record which is called doobop and it's a collaboration with a rapper called Easy Moby and I really really liked it and then I picked up The Birth of the Cool because it's such a great name for an album but found it impossible to listen to I thought it was awful just uh, genuinely appalling uh, but kept <laughs> but kept telling people I liked it so it was a few years after that I guess when I was at university I'd heard of Kind of Blue but I hadn't listened to it and after Doobop it was the record that I got that I went, oh, yeah, okay, this is great. This is really genuinely, stunningly good music. And I, I've I read a brilliant book about it called uh, The Blue Moment, which sort of explains how Miles particularly, but all the musicians on it, all arrived at this single moment to make Kind of Blue and then sort of where they went afterwards and how it affected all the music that came afterwards. I'm, I'm more than a little bit obsessed with it. It's no Tunnock's Tea Cake, but it's a good record. It's no Tunnock's Tea Cake, but I, I only knew Kind of Blue when I moved in with you. I mean, I didn't know it before. Mm. And after a few listens to it, of which now there are thousands, um, it, it, it is extraordinary. Like, I think I thought of it as kind of like one of those jazz albums that is mm. a bit not full of tunes that you can actually remember. And it's the opposite of that. It's full of actual yeah. tunes that you can dance around to, that you sing along in your head, that stay with you. And I, I do love it. I see why you love it so much. Yeah, it's extraordinary. Yeah, because the old style jazz, they would at least play the tune first, wouldn't they, before yeah. they, they went, <laughs> yeah. went off on their merry way. Yeah. But by the time you get to that, they just say, no, look, the tune is assumed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that, that, We're you playing know. around it. Yeah, like the trad jazz, you know, they exactly that. They they play the head, and then you could recognise the melody all the way through, no matter who was playing. Mm. And then what happened afterwards, particularly with Coltrane and stuff, you know, he went very weird. So did Miles Davis, to be honest, although he took a bit longer over it. <laughs> but with kind of blue, it's definitely like they're definitely tunes. They're definitely recognisable melodies that run throughout. And the the reason I love it so much is. Every time I listen to it, I get another thing from it. There's something you. Uh, this is this is why people hate jazz 
because of the words that are coming out of my mouth now. Every time I listen to it, I get something new from it. They're like, oh, piss off. <laughs> oh, God, you awful people. But and that's I, just me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love it. Do you? Uh, where are you with jazz? Well, I do like jazz. I've been to jazz clubs. I've sat and watched jazz. It's never really enveloped me yeah. the way that it does other people. I mean, I, I enjoy it, and there are certain things, but I think I probably am much more down the trad jazz route. Yeah, yeah. Mm. I like the idea of hearing the tune and then saying, oh, that was clever what you did with that. Yeah. But at least remind me of the tune before you go somewhere else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I've also been in jazz clubs, watch people just play, and you think, how are you all following each other? And they clearly are. They know exactly what they're doing. Yeah. It's so complicated that I, I have no idea what they're doing. And therefore, you know, I have to appreciate it. I have mm. to say, it's mm. amazing that you all know music so well that... You can play things that seem to be disassociated, mm. and yet they're clearly blending together. That's it's amazing. You know? That's the thing. I think seeing jazz played live when it's good, it's easier first to work out what's going on because you can see who's playing, but you can also see those moments of you know vi- the visual cues that exist between people. And I, I mean, obviously, they're both forms of improvisation. So of course. It has a lot in common, but it really, to me, has a huge amount in common with the best kind of comedy improv Mm. because it's more about listening. No, it's as much about listening as it is about playing. Yes. You know, anyone, anyone can go off and do something fancy and twiddly, either in comedy or in music, but actually unless you've listened to the person just before you or who you're playing with at the time, then none of it works and it's not any good. So, yeah. We, uh, we went to a jazz club in Paris where, <laughs> two, so two years ago. Um, can you remember what it was called? Yes, yeah, Sunset Sunrise. Sunset Sunrise. And um, it was so brilliant. And there was this drummer, and it's not usual, for, for me, it's not usual to remember the drummer of all of the instrumentalists in the band. Yeah. But the thing that we remembered about him most was all the way through the set, he was pulling the most amazing faces, uh, <laughs> ranging from absolute concentration to blissed out, like looked like he was stoned, <laughs> to excitement. Surprise. Surprise. Definitely. Delight. Was, his faces were a sort of perfect halfway point, weren't they, between jazz and French. <laughs> he, he couldn't He couldn't have been more jazz and he couldn't have been more French. And it was, no. it was both happening. <laughs> it was, oh. He was uh, so, it was, it was so nice. But what a lovely thing that he was, you know, the reason he was pulling those faces is because he was listening. Like you say, he was listening yeah. to what was happening. He was concentrating. He was seeing what the others were doing and that he was just enjoying it. He was yeah, delighted yeah. by what they were doing. There was at the yeah. end of that. Um, night there was an open jam session where a lot of musicians get up and and play and one of them um, was this young guy and he was sort of quite good on the sax but didn't really know what he was doing he could sort of blow and make a nice noise but melodically didn't know how to land again and they kept trying to help him land at the end of his (laughs) solo and you'd see like the bass player leaning towards him going like I'm giving you a Mm. runway you can bring this shit to a halt now (laughs) well I think before we started we talked about uh, improvisational comedy yeah and and I said that I've done very little of it but whenever I've done it the skillful people around me have done exactly that yeah they keep offering me a way back in yeah come on come on yeah it's this way it's very generous (laughs) it's incredibly generous thing to do because if you're that skillful and you see somebody struggling, you could easily just dismiss them, couldn't you? you could, yeah. But 
No, no, no. This is how I got it. Yeah, yeah exactly. Somebody showed me the way. Exactly. Yeah. I can't believe that drummer was completely French, though, because he, did he ever at any point demonstrate disdain on his face? No, no. Mm. So perhaps... No, no, and he had justification. <laughs> Come on, mate. This sax solo, <laughs> as you're going to call it, has gone on for 40 minutes. And no, no one remembers where we started with this. <laughs> Another time I, I was there and... Um, there was this five-piece jazz band from New York playing in Paris and this very mysterious woman sitting by the side of the stage in a in a cape rocking backwards and forwards. And eventually mm. she was invited up on the stage and the, like, the lead saxophonist in this band was everything you'd want. He was like, he spoke like this from, okay, we're going to play a little <laughs> number for you. Oh, it's a great pleasure to be here in Paris. And he introduced this singer who I had no idea who she was. She just looked like a weirdo. And they got up and the band started playing. She stood in front of the microphone and they started playing Nightbird. And it was very lovely. And they went off on little explorations with it, but kept it relatively simple because she was standing there waiting to come in. And after all of this incredible music, she just leant onto the mic and went, Nightbird. (laughs) All through her nose, fly by. Nightbird. Uh, it was, and the rest of the club were all like clicking their fingers, and I absolutely pissed myself laughing, and I had to, I had to leave. Uh, uh, it was embarrassing. But. So even something you love that much, every now and again, you spot the absurdity in it. Oh, of course, loads of, of it's course. crap, <laughs> awful crap. I lo- I really like John Coltrane, and there's a whole bunch of records by him that I can't get anywhere near. In fact, there's a fair few Miles Davis ones that I try and listen to and I've I, I can't make it to the end well it's a lovely thing it's uh, it's reminded me of a very unusual night in my life a, a long time ago I was taken to a jazz club in King's Cross in Sydney by Rick Mail oh wow <gasps> yes who liked to drink and, uh, and we <laughs> sat there and it, it was only when um at the table next to us a transvestite prostitute went under the table and started giving an Italian sailor a blowjob <laughs> And I said, I think I'm going. And Rick went, no, this is the best bit. <laughs> <laughs> That's jazz. That's jazz. jazz you know, yeah. establish a theme and build on it. That is a night to preserve in a time capsule, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. Isn't it jazz? <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, Miles Davis, he goes into the time capsule. Forevermore preserved. Nobody will ever forget jazz now. Oh, thank God. Okay, so that's two items. Rachel, would you like to have a go next? My next one is also earnest and musical, I'm afraid. Sorry. We didn't consult. No, no. That's the best thing in a marriage. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Mine is the Steinway piano. Oh. I don't have one, but just... You should have mentioned. I got you Newbury fruits instead. (laughs) (laughs) I really should. Um, So I'm a pianist. And mm-hmm. I have a very nice Yamaha upright piano, which is very, very nice in our home. But I think any pianist knows that when you play a Steinway, it is un- it's like playing a different instrument. It's, un- mm. it's unbelievable. You sound like a concert pianist when <laughs> you play a Steinway. You just do. It's amazing. It just elevates anything you're playing, whether that's jazz or classical or just, you know, playing around, whatever it is. Yeah. Sounds like you're a professional piano player. And if you are a professional piano player, you sound even more like a professional piano player. They're so beautiful to play. 
And I think that with the evolution of of the piano, how it's gone so far, you know, it's got better and better, I think it's fair to say. Mm. But, you know, you can't forget that there was the harpsichord and the square piano and things change in terms of how instruments evolve. Mm. So I think it's really important that in the future, no matter what happens with the evolution of instruments, that the Steinway piano is preserved, because I think that's the best version of the piano. Yes, you can absolutely see a day when people will say, well, we don't need to build a Steinway because we've sampled all the sounds. Exactly. We know exactly what it sounds like. Yeah, and you go, no, no, it's the feel of it. It's the feel of it, exactly. It's the weight, it's the width, and it's even the texture, what they make the keys out of, how they actually feel to the touch. Everything about it is, like, perfectly measured. I don't really play the piano. I absolutely am one of those, you know, one of those people. <laughs> but a couple of little tunes, you know, Let It Be, I can play. Oh, nice, um, yeah. <laughs> yes, because it basically follows that most pop music route. I was going to say, yeah, if you can play Let It Be, you can probably play about 40 other <laughs> pop tunes Absolutely, as well. Absolutely, I can. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I have sat at a Steinway piano. In theatres quite often, you'll find them sitting on a stage or something when you go in and then people come in and roughly move them off and you think, oh, no, careful. Uh, but, absolutely, um, yeah. I, I've sat down at a piano in an empty theatre on a stage and sort of thought, mm, I'll have a go, because for the fun of it. And you know what I really enjoyed was the fact that when you put the lid up, yes, you can see the strings. Yeah, I mm. love that. It just is an amazing thing to be looking at. It's still magical to me, you know, having played the piano since I was six, not so often on grand pianos, but when you see that happening, it is as fascinating now as it ever was. Even on an mm. upright, it's still interesting. Like, like, we had our piano tuned and you loved looking at that, didn't I, you? I agree. I, I think as an instrument... Obviously, you know, they're massive. Oh, we had the absolute delight, by the way, of seeing some people just up the road try and deliver one through an upstairs window. How often do you get to see that? That's a real rarity. Oh. Unfortunately, we were on our way back from a walk and both of us desperately needed a wee. Oh, so no. we didn't see it to its conclusion, but we did see it being put up on a sort of hoist and fascinating. But anyway, looking inside a piano, I mean, I'm, uh, you know, comedy's what I do and I can't really play any music. I play the trumpet a, a tiny bit. But look how far people have gone to make that sound. Mm. Like it weighs a ton. All of these strings, this huge, chunky instrument with hammers and, and pads and a pedal that changes the sound. And I think it's absolutely extraordinary. And they are beautiful inside. Obviously, a, a grand piano looking inside, especially when it's being played, is stunning. I always yeah. love. Do you remember the Tom and Jerry cartoon where Jerry is asleep inside <laughs> the piano yeah. and Tom starts playing? Exactly, and he's he's being moved by the hammers as as Tom oh, plays it. So it's brilliant. so cool. And then he takes two keys out and replaces them with scissors. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> it's um, Liszt's Hungarian Rhapsody, mm. wonderful piece which yeah. I can't play so hard. But Rachel is one of those people who, if you say. Oh, do you know this? She can sit at a piano and go, um, dun, dun, dun. Uh, yes, I can. There you go. And like oh, figures right. it out. And uh, oh, the, Yeah, no, that's a fantastic skill when you yeah. actually understand the structure of music so well that you think, well, it must be this. I've seen people do it. I know how they do it. They've explained it to me, but it doesn't make me able to do it. It's amazing. It's interesting as well, you know, that ability, if you like, isn't completely like, it's not innate. It, I'm sure you have to have like quite a good musical ear, but at the same time, I got much better at that from 
playing for a children's choir for years and years mm. where you have to arrange all the music yourself and then if they can't sing it because it's too high you have to transpose it three or four times like that yeah. and doing that for years and years week after week it made me so much better at playing by ear so it's mm. something that you can improve at as a musician it's why people who learn the piano spend forever playing their scales mm. yeah exactly i think that's sort of the same with comedy arguably slightly less so but the talent is always mentioned before skill mm. and skill skill is something you acquire through practice and dedication talent is something you have and they're always described on tv as talent shows and possibly they are because they mm. catch people relatively early on in their careers but skill is far more interesting and delivers much more than talent does yeah they do and they also on talent shows they're always like you've had singing lessons you're cheating <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> what a fraud yeah she's trained <laughs> yeah she'd practiced before she came on yeah yeah yeah, it's unbelievable. Yeah. But there's something, what you were saying about grand pianos in theatres, mm. I've got a a love and a pet peeve attached to that, which is the thousands, I think, of beautiful old pianos in theatres and... School halls. School halls and national trust properties often as well have got beautiful old instruments that sit unused for months. Well, Elton John can't go everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> I make a point of like being a real pushy busybody about that when I just go to any theatre or National Trust property or anything like that and going, please, can I play your piano? You know, I'm not going to hurt it. I'm just going to give it because it should pianos should be played. And mm. I think it's so sad that there's so many beautiful instruments sitting there unplayed. Particularly those things. I mean, when you think they are some of them, tens of thousands of pounds. Mm. Worth yeah. Of and they instrument. need playing. You played the one on stage at Ronnie Scott's a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, that was nice. Yeah, mm. yeah, that was, that was a beautiful instrument as well. Is it a Steinway? Oh yeah, I think it was actually. Yeah. yeah. And you played the one upstairs in Shakespeare's bookshop in Paris. Yeah, I did. There's bit. one tucked away amongst the books, I think, with a with a ne touchez pas sign written on it. But you had a good old play on there. It is what everybody who can't play an instrument dreams of. Yeah. Is the fact that you could just walk into somebody said, "Well, uh, I don't know, do you want to have a go?" And you go, "Yeah, I'll, I'll have a go." <laughs> And then you sit down and everyone stops because, oh, my God, it's music. (laughs) It's music coming out. But you're right. The description that you gave, Marcus, of the years and years of building this thing up, these instruments, into something quite extraordinary. Mm. And then to have them sitting empty is is a scene, isn't it, really? They're like an opera singer, you know, who can sing incredibly loudly, can sing an enormous range, and then can be really Mm. quiet, specifically designed to be in a theatre and it never makes mm. a sound. Absolutely, yeah. It's yeah, it's, it's what a waste. So if you're a piano player God. and you come across an unused instrument, <laughs> go up and ask and push, and then they'll say no and then play it anyway. Mm. I mean, that <laughs> thing of having pianos in public spaces, like in stations and stuff, brilliant. I love that. Absolutely brilliant. That people just get off the train at St Pancras or they're waiting for their train and then sit and play, and sometimes they're in tube stations now. I think that's really cool. And it's also one of my favourite rhymes in that song, I Love a Piano. No. I Love a Piano. I Love a Piano. Oh, yeah. I Love a Piano. somebody play. I know a fine way to play a Steinway. Really nice, yeah. It's a great rhyme. Uh, There we are. Yes, all right. Well, then your Steinway piano goes in there with a little CD player. And on it, I'm going to put Right Said Fred. 
<laughs> the one by Bernard Cribbins, oh, just to yes. remind you of that piano trying to get into the house. Both of us together, one each end and steady as you go. <laughs> so great. The noises in that, all of them made by Cribbins. What a delightful song. <laughs> Took the feet off, even with the seat off. We were getting nowhere. <laughs> so we had a cup of tea. Love it. Gorgeous. There we are. Anybody who doesn't know it, look it up. It's brilliant. Yeah, exactly. Okay, the Steinway goes into the time capsule. Okay, we're going to take a short break here. We'll be back with Marcus and Rachel very soon. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Life is full of awesome what-ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Welcome back. Right, I think it's Marcus's turn to choose something to go into this rather unique time capsule. Aren't we sophisticated? So sophisticated. Steinway pianos, kind of blue. Tunnock's tea cakes. Tunnock's tea cakes. <laughs> mm. Let's hope you don't let the side down, Marcus. What's next? No, I won't. An entire Colston Bassett Stilton. <laughs> now, I've no idea how the time capsule can keep this without it going off. If Pepys could put his cheese in the ground and bury it to preserve it from the Great Fire of London, yeah, then, yeah, uh, I think yeah. we can do it in a time capsule. Yeah. I mean, I know, just like jazz, there are people out there who think they don't like cheese and think they don't like the blue cheese especially, but it's only because they haven't put the work in, in my view. <laughs> <laughs> I do have quite a dictatorial attitude to foods that I like where if somebody doesn't like them... I'll just be like, well, try, try again. <laughs> just, 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 yeah, you're, you're wrong. I mean, this yeah, is... Yeah, that is your attitude. This is measurably, uh, provably an exquisite thing. So <laughs> Stilton especially, which I think ultimately is, I think it's the king of cheeses, I think. Don't have it with a biscuit or bread or anything else. Just have it on its own. And I reckon you should get four, five, maybe six completely distinct flavour sensations developing in your mouth while you eat it and then afterwards. I think it's extraordinary what they've done with some mouldy milk. <laughs> Amazing. And then also, as time passes, it's been left to turn into this thing. And then when you start to eat it and you cut yeah. into it and open it up, as it were, and reveal it more to the air, mm. 
that cheese again changes over a, a period of weeks. Yeah, yeah, it changes again. Exactly, exactly. I mean, I think it depends. Like if you get a, a truckle of cheese, like a, a big one, it can be really, really difficult once it's open, holding it in a state where it stays at its best. I think what puts people off is when they go really acidic and they start getting wet or like for, for me as a cheese obsessive, <laughs> really, seeing people cut one badly and I'm just like, no, <laughs> step don't do away it, don't from do the cheese. <laughs> so if you have a round cheese, if you have a, a truckle, even mm. a small truckle, you should cut it across the top. You should cut in slices across, not down, not like a cake. That way, once you've cut across the top, you can turn it over when you store it so that the moisture in the cheese doesn't all sink to the bottom. The bottom then rots and the top goes dry and horrible. And in fact, you should really go in and turn it over every 24 Mm -hmm. hours or so. I think it's worth stepping in here and saying you're not as much of a snob about that as you're making yourself sound. Like, you've never told me off for cutting a cheese wrong, or anyone. We, with regret, have never had a whole Stilton in the house. No, but you'd be very stringent about it, would you? Big time. If we had a round, if we had a, a truckle properly, yes, I would. Mm. I'd be livid. No, but, I mean, we just we generally to know. buy. I'm glad you asked that question. It'd be the same as me tapping up with a dark chocolate tunnel. <laughs> oh, get out of town. Exactly. You know? <laughs> Couldn't do it. Or or stacking the tunnocks in such a way that the top of each dome was just slightly cracked. Dented. Ah. Can you imagine? No, I don't want to. Well, I don't want to imagine a stilton going to waste or, worst of all, some hooligan scooping a hole in it and pouring port into it. Oh, that was going to be my next question. Have port with it. Yes. By all means, uh, if I could drink port, I would drink so much port. I'd have it every day. That is the problem. Which is why I don't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the smell of port and what port, or even just like good red wine, what it does, uh, the complexity of it, I find fascinating and delightful. You can have ginger beer. Oh, right. (laughs) Actually, Ginger goes exceptionally well with strong cheese. Yes, what's your favourite thing to have with cheese? Because I have to say mine is chilli jam. Ooh. Yeah, very nice. It depends so much on, on the cheese. I mean, to be honest, nine times out of ten, I like my cheese without anything. Yeah. I think pear goes very well with strong cheeses. You have it with a date quite often. Yeah, I like I like the sweetness yes. of, a, of a date. I remember being in a restaurant and somebody poured honey all over it. It was delicious. Yeah, I, I do mean, like that with uh, goat's cheese, especially yeah, honey with, and goat's with cheese. Is really so nice. fresh goat's cheese, or actually at the other end of the scale with parmesan, oh. especially truffle honey. <laughs> I should also reveal humble brag here, but I am a qualified level one cheese master. I don't know what that means. Well, nobody no does because it's you know. But I did. I went to the Academy of Cheese. Oh, the Academy of Cheese, of course. Yeah, stupid yeah. me. <laughs> I got, I think, ninety-five percent or something. So yeah, I'm, and I, ju- I judged at the World Cheese Awards. And last you got year. given a little badge, didn't you? I got given a badge. Yeah. Just yeah. one question about Edam wrong. <laughs> so annoying. Yeah, exactly. Like, is is Edam a cheese? Not really. No, no. <laughs> Not really. No. It's mostly a wax. Just a waxy sphere. <laughs> yeah. But the Dutch, you know, the aged gouders, they know what they're doing. So. Yeah. That's so you have to conclude from that that Edam is deliberate. Yes, <laughs> deliberate. I like it. Come on, 
It's unfortunate, I think, mainly for Marcus, that in terms of food, we're a bit different in that I've got incredibly simple food tastes like tuna and pasta, cheese on toast, Mm -hmm. a bowl of baked beans. I don't really like mixing things. (laughs) You've got very... And and that your family tradition is to cook stuff for a while. By your standards, but I think yours is to cook food not very much. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. (laughs) I like all my vegetables to have some crunch to them. I like any any meat, including chicken, to be on the rare side. (laughs) It is a a classing, definitely. Yeah, when I was a young man, when I say young man, I mean the term that I should have used is boy. Sure. We were allowed to leave one thing. Sunday lunch, we'd be playing football in the park. My mother would shout, your dinner's ready, into the park. And we would come charging back for lunch, saying, we're right in the middle of a game, Mum. I don't want to eat anything. I'm not hungry. And she said, well, there are children starving in Africa. You could leave one thing. And I always, always chose to leave a Brussels sprout. And it was only, I think, in my, well, it was only in my 30s that my wife eventually said to me, why do you always leave one Brussels sprout when I put them on the plate? And I said, I said, I don't, I don't. I hadn't noticed I was still doing it. Wow. Treating myself to the leaving a Brussels sprout. Isn't that weird? It's tradition. I saw it as a treat. I mean, I have to say, like, I, I am lucky and also a bit weird where this is concerned in that there isn't anything I don't like. All things are fine. I really enjoy eating weird, challenging things as well. Like hundred-year-old eggs in China. Wow, yeah. They're psychologically difficult to eat because the white of the egg is black and the yolk, as was, is green because that's what happens to Mm. them. And so your brain is saying, don't do that. That's bad for you because we don't eat many things that are like black and dark green in colour. And uh, But I had them with a little bit of um, mirin, you know, like rice vinegar and soy sauce and thinly sliced ginger in this little farmhouse in the country in China. Absolutely delicious. Yes, I have a friend like that. I remember once opening a barbecue at the beginning of the summer and there was still a sausage in it from the year before. And he went, oh, yum, and shoved it in his mouth. Wow. And I went, what are you, <laughs> wow. oh my what are you doing? He said, it'll fight off all the infections for the whole summer. It'll be great. <laughs> wow, yeah. that's a bold move. He survived. Yeah, sure. There's also this sort of food cleanliness thing that, I don't want too much hubris happening here because I'm sure one day it will catch me out. But I'm like, that's oh, probably fine. Yeah, probably. And be that right. we share. Yeah. yeah, it's probably fine. Probably fine. Yeah. Be all right. Give it a sniff. Sell by date. Even a used by date's got a couple of weeks give and take. Yeah. Well, particularly though with Stilton cheese. Well, that's one of the great things, isn't it? It will keep for such a long time. Yeah. Well, all right. I'm going to put a lovely roundel of Stilton. Oh, yeah. Delicious. Which we shall only open by slicing the top. Put it next to the Tunnock's tea cakes. Marvellous. Okay. So we're at the point, really, where we have to put in something that you're glad to put into the time capsule, something you want to get rid of, really, from your life. We're going to slightly break the rules, but I think it's fair enough that you should have one each. Oh, great. Mine is fake tan (laughs) for lots of different (laughs) reasons. Uh, For me personally, fake tans never work because when you're as pale as I am, I'm basically the colour of white paper, like really Mm. so pale, just almost blue. (laughs) When you're this pale, I have, in my younger years, I've experimented with fake tan Mm. because it was so the thing to do when I was in my 20s. And it fails so badly if you're really pale, (laughs) even if you do it properly. I think I had it done professionally once Mm. and it looked good for two days and then 
when it starts to come off, it comes off like little bits of, of gravy granules off you and you're left with these streaks up and down your skin. And it's so noticeable when you're really, really pale. But I think even on people generally, it's reached such an odd point, fake tan. I mean, look at Donald Trump. Absurd. The actual president of the USA should use that ridiculous colour and be under the impression that it's acceptable, that he looks okay. Mm. It's so weird when you really think about it. Yeah, it's weird. That he spends time every day making himself look orange. Yeah. Yeah. That's so mad. Also, making himself look orange rather than getting a professional to make him look orange. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) yeah. yeah. No, just Mm. leave the eyes white like a panda. There must be so many beauty therapists who look at him and are like, just let, if you're going to do it, let me do it. (laughs) Let me fix that horrible man. Yes, you're ruining my trade. Have you ever had it done professionally? Yes, I have. Yes, it's better professionally, but it still doesn't. It just slides off me. Just Did you do work. one of those, like, go in a booth and put your yeah. arms in the air and they spray your whole naked body? Yeah, that's what I did. Wow. Just once. I'd love to have a go at that. <laughs> I mean, I'm very, very hairy. Oh, yeah. So I think that would be a problem. I and don't I'm know also, how they get past your hair. I'm also unusually dark-skinned. Like, I'm darker-skinned yeah, than anyone else in our family. Mediterranean, I think. Ooh. Yeah. There's definitely some secret Greek in me. <laughs> somewhere. That sounds like a Mills and Boone book, the yeah, secret the Greek secret in Greek. me. I'm going to Google it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. no oh, oh, dear. My word. Oh, dear. But it's also, fake tan's gone so far that it's got almost offensive with some people. Mm. There's talk of, like, pop stars. What, is know, it Ariana drown- Grande? Yeah, they say about Ariana Grande, essentially, like, almost blacking up. Like yeah, yeah. that you you look like you you look like you're a different race mm. than what you are. You can you can take it very very far. When you boil it all down, it's such an odd extension of makeup. You know, it's based on the idea that a tan makes you look healthy. Yeah, but we all know that's not true now. We know that lying in the sun is not good for you. Yeah, a tan ought to be a sign of someone who's lived an unhealthy life. Yeah, that's yeah. a good point. I like lying in the sun because I like the feeling, but that's, I'm not interested. Yeah, in going brown. No. Yeah. But then I go brown very easily, whereas you sort of... Don't. Don't. No. Just nothing happens to me. Well, nothing happens first, and then you burn. Yes. Rachel is so pale that a moth landed on you. <laughs> thought, it genuinely thought you were a, a light bulb, I think. Yeah. Amazing. <laughs> well, yeah, no, I have had... Um, uh, well, I did five series of Benidorm. So, oh, uh, yes. Wow, yes. So I always had to go turn up there and uh, get into the booth and be sprayed all over. Oh, did you? Even though I I always wore a suit because I played the British consul. Yeah. So the idea that they gave me a full body spray was slightly absurd. (laughs) I think they just wanted to see me naked. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, We all do, mate. There are websites available. Yes, I know. Uh, Yeah, highly Mm -hmm, mm specialised. Yeah, the Greek in me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's a very good thing to put in there, and I, I absolutely banish it from your life by locking it into the time capsule, Rachel. Brilliant. Thank you. So, Marcus, what would you like to get rid of? Well, this morning I talked to Rachel about this and I said as a a thing to preserve, as a good mm-hmm. thing to go into the time capsule, I was suggesting Lawrence Fox <laughs> because I want people in the future to be able to pinpoint the moment where finally, finally, straight white posh men were given a chance. <laughs> and I really think that Lawrence Fox is that moment. And I think that, you know, in much the same way people look back at Rosa Parks as having played such a (laughs) vital role 
as a turning point in the beginning of the civil rights movement and yes. Gandhi, for example, in India, really making a change. I feel like in the future, people are likely to look at Lawrence <laughs> Fox and say he was the one who finally <laughs> built a platform on which posh, wealthy, straight, white, educated men mm-hmm. could finally be heard. <laughs> and then and then Rachel pointed out, and I actually think there's something to it, mm-hmm. that in some ways those people do get heard already. <laughs> this is radical. Yeah, so then I thought, oh, maybe he should just be buried <laughs> and sort of forgotten about. Because not in terms of his personality, because I don't know him, but... Um, more in terms of what he's fighting for is already a thing. Mm. Mm-hmm. And so then I think, oh, maybe it's not a turning point. Maybe it's just exactly the same and, and in that way man. rather pathetic. Yeah. yeah. So, in fact, what he's saying is, why can't we all just say what we want to say without anybody having a go at us? What you say, well, like yeah. you always have and most people do. Like you currently are. All the time on, on lots of platforms. And having lots of people agree with you. Yeah. Despite it being... Patently bollocks. Yeah. Yeah. On a sort of sliver of seriousness, mm. and I do mean a sliver. No, it's worth it. I, I am a, a predominantly straight, educated, posh, privileged white man. And I've had all sorts of amazing things happen in my career. And it's only really in the last, if I'm really honest about it, probably six, seven years that that you start going, oh, this is a lot more than sort of everyone else Mm. you can kid yourself into thinking it's a mixture of skill or talent or whatever rather than the things that are that are playing a role you know the advantages that I've been given that I've done nothing to earn Mm. and it is uncomfortable as is I couldn't even say letting go of any of it because you don't it's in its way sort of taken away from you you know things happen things move on as i mean as an individual yeah. not as a as a group so much but things move on and it is a bit painful it is that's the truth you know you see things happen in jobs that i used to get that i don't get now and you know that's a bit painful mm-hmm. and it's not it's not because i'm being excluded on those terms it's just that the way the entertainment industry is, it is a little bit painful, but it's only a little bit painful. Yeah. And then you see someone in the in the tiny moments you have where you start wallowing in a bit of self-pity or whatever, hmm. then mercifully you see Lawrence Fox or his ilk. Piers Morgan's more than capable of it. Nigel Farage has sort of built a career on it, going on telly, insisting that they're not being listened to. And you think, oh, no, this is all just a big load of old shit, isn't it? Just shut up. And then it's you a big see load of people, old shit. You see those people who have finally been given a chance to do something, the thing that you've been doing for so long. Yeah. You're the one that was given the chance, and you see them come in to do it, and you go, why have these people not been given this chance before? They're so good at it. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. Yeah, it, it, exactly. And you, th- There's the undeniable. There's just like, oh, Oh, right. Oh, they're easily as good and or better than I was at doing that. Particularly at that age. Oh, that's interesting. There was such a beautiful example of of that attitude recently on Twitter where Mop the Week released their announcement of the guests for the next series, Mm -hmm. which pleasingly included a host of women, uh, black women, black men, um, gay, diverse bookings and in spite of the fact that, you know, of the, the, that's for the guest slots, uh, leaving a regular every single week, Hugh Dennis, mm-hmm. Dara O'Brien, 
Ed Gamble, often Rhys James, yeah. uh, and often one more straight white man on the panel. And that, so there's usually like one or two guest bookings of that sort each week. And mm. the comments underneath this were, oh, I see you can't get a job at the BBC if you're a straight white man anymore. <laughs> I see that men are being silenced again. I, I see women are taking over. Uh, and it's like, you're talking about one woman in a panel of seven. I regret posting those now. <laughs> I regret it. I regret it. But I mean, it, it also, they're forgetting the fact that these things are edited. So actually, even in the recording, this person may come on, may well be quite funny, but then may well find that the, most of what they said is gone. Absolutely. There are seven chairs Absolutely. on Mock the Week. Seven. And I've, I've had this with, like, close friends of mine. Uh, where they'll kick off about someone who they think hasn't earned their place mm. on that show and that they're there to meet a diversity quota. And I'm like, why do you imagine that that is the one chair out of the seven on that show that that you should have been in? Mm. That's how that sort of self-pity thing that Lawrence Fox is trying to market with Farage and Bannon and Trump and all of that lot, you know, and it does work. You can market it quite well, but it doesn't bear any any scrutiny. So I'm definitely up for, for burying Lawrence, Lawrence Fox. Fox. Mm. Yeah, he got let go by his agent, which happens. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, if you can't get someone work, then an agent will let you go. And I'm not surprised they couldn't get him work because once you become that kind of incredibly political figure known for your own personal political yeah. views, no, you can't get work as a gigging character actor anymore imagine the incoming calls to his agent as well from him going good news these people have been in touch they want me to speak at at a rally (laughs) (laughs) yeah these are these are bad guys these are some bad guys well i'm i have to say happy to put lawrence fox in the time capsule okay yeah (laughs) And I, I'd fun. like to point out, if Lawrence Fox does hear this or any of his fans and supporters, that it isn't even him. <laughs> it isn't even him. It's it's just the idea of him. Absolutely good. Well, him and his ilk. Yes, yes. exactly. Go into the time capsule. That's absolutely fantastic. So there we are. I'm going to seal it up. And we've done it. Brilliant. Lovely. I've really enjoyed chatting to you both. It's been fantastic. Oh, you too, man. And Thanks for having too. us. Thank you for making my very first couple's time capsule work so brilliantly. Oh, it was really fun to do. And we hope to see you on an improv stage. Oh, yes, please. Nudging you in the right <laughs> yeah, direction. helping me along. <laughs> Come along, old man, this way. There's a joke round the corner. <laughs> Just round the corner, here's something funny. <laughs> Here it is. Here it is. This way. I can't see it. I can't see it. I need my reading glasses. Keep walking. <laughs> oh, brilliant. Now I can tell you all the things about Lawrence Fox that I actually know. Ah. Jesus Christ, what a... You have been listening to My Time Capsule, or in fact, Rachel and Marcus's Time Capsule, so our Time Capsule. I think this experiment went rather well, but do let me know what you thought on Twitter, Instagram or Facebook, where you can follow me or this podcast. You can subscribe to it for all episodes on Acast or your favourite podcast provider. Do leave a review and rate us if you have the time. This has been a cast-off production. Our producer was John Fenton Stevens. The music you're listening to is available on Spotify without me talking all over it if you search My Time Capsule theme tune. And it was composed by Pass the Peas Music. 
So, this is me, Mike Fenton-Stevens, signing off. We'll see you all very soon for another hour of great hits, taking us right up to the top of the hour. See, I could have been a DJ. Bloody Richard Curtis. Bye. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.